Okay, so as we have, the, as we have this last class on the book of Numbers, uh, it does remind me of the uh, when when we study the whole Old Testament in the curriculum called our spiritual heritage. The book of Numbers is summarized like this, and the numbers are these: twelve, forty, and three. Uh, Balak, Balaam, and his donkey, and so you get you have the uh, twelve spies, the forty years of wandering. And then the encounter uh, between Balaam and Balak and the cursing, the attempted cursing on the Israelites. Well, that is one way of summarizing the book, but I'm not sure it does a very adequate job. It does point out some of the uh, some key characteristics. But uh, anyway, I'll uh, I'll start us off with one <clears throat> in chapter one of uh, Numbers. And I'm going to read verses... Well, I'm not going to read all of them. Yeah, I will. Uh, Verses, they're short. Verses 5 through 16. And see if if you remember what I had written down that that was uh, one thing of note about this section. Uh, Numbers 1, chapter 1, verse 5. These then are the names of the men who shall stand with you. And this is in taking the census. Of Reuben, Elizer, the son of Shadur, of Simeon, Shalumiel, the son of Zerushadai, of Judah, Nashan, the son of Amenadab, of Issachar, Nathanael, the son of Zuar, of Zebulun, Eliab, the son of Helon, of the sons of Joseph, of Ephraim, Elishama, the son of Amihad, of Manasseh, Gamaliel, the son of Petazur, of Benjamin, Abidan, the son of Gideoni, of Dam, Ahiazer, the son of Amishadai, of Asher, Pagiel, the son of Okran, of Gad, Eliasaph, the son of Duel, of Naphtali, Ahira, the son of Enon. These are they who were called of the congregation, the leaders of their father's tribes. They were the heads of divisions of Israel. Do you remember? Did anybody remember uh, make a note of something about that section? Uh, I had not considered that before. It had something to do with their names. A, a, a common characteristic in many of the names. In fact, um, maybe at least ten of them. Um, they either have El or Aya in them, meaning that it's a reference to God. Yeah. Shaddai. Yeah, Shaddai. Or El. Shemeliel. I mean, I think there were only, like you said, two or three that didn't have a direct... Yeah, it was amazing. And I had never considered that. And then, of course, you got Israel. So I found found that interesting. One of 23. What did you have that you would like to uh, share with the class that you found of interest. Sarah, do you have one you want to sure. take off? Um, you took one of mine, but that's... Oh, okay. sorry. But yeah. I had I had a backup there. So. All right. Um, one thing that was interesting was looking at and understanding better the geography that's mentioned, not only like from Lebo Hamath to the Brook of Egypt and yeah. how it's used later, yeah. but even... The way that the camp was set up, and yeah. how the Korah's rebellion, and you're looking at who's neighboring tribes, and, right. and and all of that, just thinking of it in those physical geographical terms was 
something I've not done before. Agreed, agreed. Uh, me, me as well. So thank you for that. And uh, I think that was one of the things I had mentioned and as well. And we see that, that camp arrangement layout there in chapter 2. Okay. Anissa. Going along with the geography thing, um, I thought it was very interesting how it was pointed out that one of the stops when they were spying out the land was in Hebron. And that was where God gave promises to Abraham, and that's where they were buried. And they, I think it was probably Tommy that mentioned, they should have remembered those promises and realized, you know, God is giving us this land. We can do it. Very good. Very good. So, yeah. Um, Key places and things that happen to key places uh, should be faith building. And not just to them, but to us. Uh, to remember what happened at, at different places and to realize how God has promised to be with His people. Thank you for that. Alright, very good. Craig. Um we had mentioned that one of the themes, uh, you could almost use chapter 35 and verse 34 as one of the themes. Um, I, the Lord, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. That all throughout the book, um, you are reminded that God desired to be among his people. Um, and it kind of makes me think of the, the sermon that was given at the Areopagus where he's trying to talk to these Gentiles yeah. and saying that we may grope and find him even though he's not that far from each of us. God God wants to be among us. Yeah. And so he took great pains to do that with his people. Very good. God among his people and and we saw probably in different places then throughout the book that that had implications on them then. Uh not just an awareness that God was with them and among them, but of requirements uh, of their their living, uh, because they they were to be a people who would be suitable for God to dwell among them. And again, is it any different today? When when I'm faced with a temptation or a situation, uh, I'm reminded of the peacemaker study where. If you're going to be sitting down with someone talking, uh, it, it might not be a bad practice to pull up an extra chair that remains empty as a reminder that God is there with us. And, and does that then impact the way that I talk to the person that I need to work on a conflict with? And it should. And just the way uh, geography should remind us of that, uh, just the fact that God is among us uh, should be a, a constant reminder of the people that we are to be. If God is holy, we ought to be holy as well. So, thank you for that. David. Uh, the power of one. Ah. And there's a couple of notable examples of that. In number 16, after the rebellion of Korah, there was a point that broke out. And Moses tells Aaron, you know, get your censer, put fire on it, 
from the altar, lays incense on it, go out and check that play. And it says he was literally standing between the dead and the living, such that the plague was checked. Yes. Uh, and then there's another example that's uh, similar in uh, Numbers 25, after the uh, you know sins uh, in Peor, uh, Phineas, yeah. his zeal, went in and killed the. Israelite man and the Midianite woman. Yes. And that also checked a plague. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think an application to that, I think both of those are foreshadowings of Christ. Right. As he stands between the living and the dead, quite literally, (laughs) in a spiritual sense. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, th- uh, that would preach. <laughs> There's a number of things in this in this book that would preach well. Uh, I really like that, and I, I like both the, the the idea of the power of one, uh, and as uh, as well as the foreshadowings or people who have a uh, a Christ typology to the way that uh, they're living. And to see that with both Aaron and Phineas, I think is is really good. I think you know we ought to be looking for Christ and uh, pointings to Him throughout the the Bible, and those are those are two obvious ones as uh, as you point out. So thanks for that. Uh, I'll just ask on the topic of the power of one in in the Book of Numbers. Do, can you think of any other situations? that might fit that where one person singularly uh, wields great influence and power, uh, God's power in a situation. Give me a sec to noodle on that. I've got one idea in mind. Um, I'm thinking of Moses and the number of times when he interceded and interceded and, and... Complained and then interceded. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was that was my thought as well. So Moses, Aaron, Phineas, all interceded on behalf of the people to to prevent either either further judgment or judgment at all. Uh, and in a sense, uh, yeah, very good. All right, Mary. On the flip side of that, Korah's negative influence and him and amongst his family and Dathan and Byram and then the 250 others. So the flip side of the power of one in a negative way. Alright, very good. Very good. Right. Well, just the like from chapter 11 where the people complain and grumble and <clears throat> Moses tells God he wants to die. That yeah. seems extreme <clears throat> but it also I think speaks to the power of the negativity, the complaining, the not being grateful that it can take even the most meek man on earth right and yeah. cause him to act in ways that are not perfect. yeah um, let, let's look at that let's look at that section really quick numbers 11 I thought this was this was really good as well numbers 11 and let's let's pick up reading there in verse 10. 
Now, um, they had already, uh, and this, <laughs> I love, I, know, I love verses 4 through 6 of Numbers 11. Um, and the rabble who were among them had greedy, greedy desires, and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this manna. And and the point that I had written down on that uh, was that Israel had an Egypt mentality, a, a romantic remembrance of living there that had nothing to do with reality but yet given their their circumstances they longed for what they had come out of as if that was fulfilling as if slavery and bondage and working you know to the bone were, were something to go back to well building on that um Moses, verse 10, heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you been so hard on your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you've laid the burden of all this people on me? Was it I who conceived all this people? Was it I who brought them forth that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant? to the land which you swore to their fathers. Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me. So if you're going to deal thus with me, kill me at once if I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. I expect, I I could expect a certain response from God that doesn't happen here. Which shows to me God's patience, God's long-suffering, His compassion, His mercy. And it shows me about Moses, this great man of God, this most humble person in all the earth. He's human. And given a certain situation, he overreacts, and maybe I could even say he misreacts. But he takes his he takes his frustration to God, and and notice how God responds. Verse sixteen: The Lord therefore said to Moses, "Gather for me seventy men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and their officers, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you." Then I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit who is upon you, and will give, will put him upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you shall not bear it alone. And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat, for you were well off, for we were well off in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. And so, a uh, uh, couple couple interesting points here is that um, uh, we see this we see this carried out in verse thirty one. Now there went forth a wind from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea, 
and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side, a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp and about two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. And the people spent all day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail uh, and they had me to eat, which didn't actually turn out so well for them, but uh, they did get what they asked for. Um, so you see God's mercy and His compassion with the people and with Moses. Um, it was also pointed out to me that you see God's Spirit involved in both of those. I didn't realize that, but you see that the Spirit taken from Moses and shared then with the 70 who would help deal with all the people. And you see that same word, ruach, uh, there in verse 31, for a wind from the Lord, uh, which could be viewed also as his spirit that brought this quail in. So I found that interesting. So thank you for all for those. Yeah. Oh, what else? What else do we have? Josh. So I was really intrigued by the whole section of Balaam. I mean, anytime we think about God working in the world, we tend to think about Him working directly in our situation, or when we look at the examples, we look at God directly working with His people, but in this case, God's working with somebody not with Israel, from a distance even, while still also being with His people, Really interesting to think about how he can do all that, but yeah, the idea that he is looking out for his people the way that he does and is influencing the nations around and preventing the cursing and causing a blessing and all the different ways that he works is really encouraging to think about. Yeah, thank you for that. Please. And related to that, just the idea that it's not it's not clear to me that the people of Israel knew what God was doing behind the scenes. You know, they might have seen this group of people going from Balak up to Balaam and then back down and then back up again, you know, crossing uh, next to the camp as they yeah. were you know parked there, but they didn't know what was going on and and I mean there's no sense that I get that, you know, there are Israelites like hanging out behind the bushes whenever the 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 various bulls were offered on this altar and then all right, curse them and then no, that's not what happened. But after the fact, when they get to read the story of how they got there, so to speak, yeah. then they can see how God keeps working behind the scenes and that's a lesson for us and all yeah. the million different ways that He cares for us that we haven't got a clue about. I, I totally agree. Uh, I, I think there's so much about that uh, Balaam Balak story and the, the aspect that you brought up, Sarah. I had never considered until this time through. I don't know if they ever knew about it. Uh, it may have been recorded long enough afterward that it, it was just simply for us <laughs> to know. Uh, but all the while, uh, God was watching out for his people. Uh, the piece, the piece that I, another piece about that that I had never connected with was that if you saw the ability to make a connection between uh, what what Balaam did actually say and how it reinforced the promises that God had made to Israel through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that while 
he was attempting to curse, he was actually blessing them by, by undergirding and repeating many of the promises all over again. So I, I found that interesting. Any, anything else on Balaam and Balak while we're there? I find Balaam's encounter with his donkey to be amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the donkey talks to him and Balaam just answers the donkey like, oh yeah, no big deal. Instead of, whoa, this must be something from the Lord. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's mad at the donkey and he's letting the donkey have it. <laughs> and I just, that's just fascinating to me that he right. do that. Right, right. I totally agree. Anything else on, on Balaam? I mean, this is just a, a small point, but another indicator how things don't go our way, how out of character we might act. You know, this donkey says that, you know, he has ridden that donkey all of his life, and he's about ready to kill it. Yeah. Just because it's being stubborn this one time. And just how quickly emotions can kind of take over. Hmm. Very good. Very good. And a detail that came out in that reading in that class period was he had servants with him. Yes. It could have been that he was being humiliated uh, in sort of a yeah. pressury yeah. manner and that may have been Very good, very good. Of course it continues on that uh, the story doesn't end just with Balaam or at least it doesn't appear to end with Balaam uh, after the, the Balak uh Balaam failure of cursing, uh, but the point was made, and you may remember that while while uh, Balak couldn't get Balaam to curse Israel, is uh, Israel did end up cursing God, and. That 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 was I, I found that an interesting uh, take on that part of the story as well. So we may come back to that. What else have you got? Kind of along what you're talking about, you know, seeing God's personality come through. I, I just find it so interesting that, um, like, the example of relationship between God and Moses mm-hmm. and the people, like. But more specifically, how God interacts with the people and Moses and Aaron and all the all the stories that we see throughout this, and even like the boring parts, uh-huh. the list of the names yeah. and yeah. all that, like that's what relationship is. It's all of it. Um, and so to to think about you know how I interact with Tony or how I interact with a kid or how I interact with a person. That's what relationship is. Yeah. It's all of it. Yeah. It's the boring stuff. It's the exciting stuff. It's the ups and downs and full of grace and mercy. And yeah. Can you stop and think about it? I mean, there's a there's a close to pretty much close to a forty year span that we get. I don't know if I can make my fingers small enough. We get that much insight into the. The relationship, the day to day, everything that took place. Now, obviously, we're we're told what we should know from it, but.
But um, yeah, thanks for that. And and just to consider that all of this happened, you know, post um, uh, post leaving Egypt, leaving Mount Sinai, uh, heading up to spy out the land, wandering in the wilderness for forty years, while that generation dies off, and the the, the book comes to an end. Uh, Miriam has died. Aaron has died. Moses has been given his uh, uh, orders to climb the mountain and die. And they're about ready to enter. And just to to put all that into that perspective uh, with that consideration for the human element. Uh, It's just like, you know, if I'm like, well, how can I be a better mom today? Well, I should go read numbers. That would never have occurred to me, but... Mm -hmm. You know, looking at how God deals with Moses and how patient he is with the people. Yeah. Maybe that's where I need to go. Yeah. Very good. Karen. Um, I was just thinking, talking about all of the death and the new generation. And, um, it was interesting to me when we talked about the number that they, um, that stated in chapter 26 after yeah. most of this has happened. And... From chapter 2 to chapter 26, the number is pretty, you know, has not really decreased hardly at all through all of this death and, you know, um, and that God sustains his people um, and has blessed them and sustained them through this whole 36, 8 years or whatever. Yeah. That was impactful to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, To go along with that, uh, it was impactful to me when they fought against those uh, uh, on the Transjordan that it it pointed out that let's see it pointed out that um, they did not lose uh, a person numbers 31. Numbers 31 and verse 49 that uh, they said to Moses, Your servants have taken a census of the men of war who are in our charge and no man of us is missing. They conquered all those people living on the east side and didn't lose a single person, a single soldier. And you talk about God taking care of His people through difficult times. Uh, To me, that goes right along with that as well. Thank you. Right. Well, kind of along with that, the, the the defeat of Sihon and Og. Yeah. How the same they could have used the same excuses that the spies had previously for Canaan, but they were yeah for the and then but they trusted in the Lord and they defeated the giants and then or at least the giants yeah and how God continually throughout Psalms and other Joshua and Deuteronomy refers back to the, that defeat of those kings to de- demonstrate his loving kindness and his deliverance of the people. And it was like the same situation that they hit the 12 spies face. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Please. Uh, one of the things that it shows up multiple times is that the uh, law is going to be the same for the alien... Um, and foreigner among you, yes. and I mean, over and over again, you'll, you'll, there'll be some law or sacrifice ordained, and then there'll be this paragraph, and it'll be the same for the alien living among you, and yeah, you know, 
whether it's the alien living among you or the native-born Israelite who unintentionally kills, then this is what happens. And, and over and over again, those people, those marginalized people are included yeah. in the laws and the protection and the blessings and and the penalties uh, right. that are set forth. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important to notice. Uh, and, and surely uh, we wouldn't just notice in the book of Numbers, but it's good to see there too that uh, in our highly charged uh, social environment of today, uh, these, these same uh, potential issues existed then and, and God's provisions dealt with that. Yeah. yeah, very good. Thank you for that. Mary. Um, the importance of gratitude. And um, I was convicted several times comparing my life now to those wandering. Mm. I mean, hot, rugged wilderness, living in tents, kids in tow, trying to deal with livestock. And, and even, you know, and all the blessings I have that I don't really appreciate. And how he expected them to be grateful yeah. in that circumstance. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a wonderful reminder. And uh, uh, again, not necessarily something you probably thought you would see in the book of Numbers and be reminded of so much, but uh, it is it is it is good. Even though it is a little warm in here tonight, so. <laughs> Josh. Yeah, I found it helpful going through all the. Oh, we talk about boring parts. Yes. All the regulations and the repetition of the regulations and all the various details. It was helpful when Tommy made the point that it was possible to be unclean and not necessarily in sin. Yes. I think that was something that I just had never realized before going through the study. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, look at Numbers 5. Look at Numbers chapter 5. That was one of the things I had written down as well. Here you've got this... Uh, <laughs> before you get to the procedure to determine a wife's unfaithfulness, uh, you have this... <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Which I didn't write down, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you, you have the situation of a dead person, a leper, or those with a discharge, and, and how that... Um, they needed to go outside the camp so they wouldn't defile the camp. Again, where it says in verse 3, where I dwell in their midst. And so this idea of being unclean is not a sin, uh, but uncleanness might be viewed as a somewhat picture of sin. Uncleanness has to be outside the camp because of God's presence. So thank you for bringing that up. I think, again, there's... I think there's a lot of there's probably a lot of uh, chewing to do on that uh, in regards to what does that mean to me today. Yeah. And along those same lines, chapter 19, the red heifer and it's yes. used for cleansing. For you touch a dead body, okay, you got to get cleansed. It's not necessarily a sin that you touched a dead body, but you still have to hang out outside the camp and get sprinkled and on the third yeah. and the seventh day and then how the warriors had to do that too also kind of ties in. Right, right. But yeah, that whole um, concept of unclean and all the 
all the trouble they had to go to to get the ashes of this red heifer. <laughs> and, and right. So that it's available and there and ready to use anytime. That was quite a meticulous it. process. Yes. yes. And then, then you have this statement in the New Testament. For the, if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Back to Mary, your point about being thankful. You know, am I am I thankful for the forgiveness and and I don't know if to say it better the the somewhat simplicity of that 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 God has provided through Jesus. Good. What else? You said you're talking about how meticulous it was. Um, the I love it because it's real. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like the the end of Acts. It, it's all these nautical terms yeah. and you know places and Paul did this and that and and I remember going through a class one time and someone was like, "Why? Why do you think that's in here?" And it's like, "Well, it makes it real. Mm-hmm. It's real things that we still know about and we have you know seen in the history and and the same thing here. You know, it's real places and real ways of doing things yeah. and this you know the leper's just outside the city and like it, it just it's not some fairy tale that we're like oh yeah we'll follow this we'll drink the Kool-Aid but yeah. it's it's real stuff yeah. and real things that work and it makes a lot of sense and I, I feel like this book is um, it, there's so many instances of things that are like yep that's the way it works you know to go along with that uh, I find myself too often reading the words and the text and not thinking about the reality of what the setting is in which this is uh, happening and taking place and and the interaction of the people, the geography, uh, the attitudes toward one another, uh, sometimes maybe the, the attitude toward the foreigners, uh, the longing to go back to Egypt, just to, just to kind of imagine what did that look like. And... Uh, well, this is probably somewhat of a plug, but uh, that's what me watching some of these episodes of the series called The Chosen has made me stop and do. It's made me just stop and realize that the words in these stories have a lot of context going on around them. And I think I need to take more time and just stop and re- realize that. Not that I have to understand that whole context, but there is a context. And these aren't just um, uh, one-off happenings, but they're a part of a community of people, uh, of God's people, moving toward the promised land. And uh, I think I need to stop and and take more time in, in my reading and my appreciating of the story. And so the comments have helped me with that, Mary. And that real, the reality and the specifics, God had a plan and he had processes. And you could know at any one time, are you in fellowship with God? Yeah, yeah. If you're not, here's what you do to fix it. And we can have that same confidence and assurance today. It's not up to our feelings. It's as God commanded, just like every time... 
Moses did it just as God commanded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent, Josh. Yeah, along with that, everything took time. <clears throat> like we read the story of Balaam, and okay, we can read in like two sentences that they went from one place to another, but the distances we're talking about <clears throat> are huge. Yeah. The time it would have taken to travel all the way down and go all the way back, and all those sorts of things. Not to mention sitting and figuring out well, how long would it take to butcher these animals <laughs> to then put them on the fire and have them be consumed and then take the ashes and then do a thing every single time it was required. Yeah. Like through the wilderness wanderings, everybody had to deal with the uncleanness of death yeah. at some point. And every time that took. <coughs> the time it took to do the purification. Excellent. Excellent. And along the same lines of thinking about the social context, I think I brought it up the other day about what it would be like living in a city of refuge where where you've got your Levites and you've got your manslayers. <laughs> and you've got the manslayers waiting to be judged. Manslayers or murderers. And they got to hang out there. And there's not a how do, how what's the interaction like uh-huh. there and how what's the social structure that is established in that type of an environment yeah even even Joshua you know uh Joshua is named as going to be Moses's successor and yet 40 years pass um no doubt Joshua is is growing. He's maturing. He's experiencing things that are helping him be ready with God's help to lead this group of people. And we're not given any insight into that. But yet, it's no no doubt a reality that all the while, you know, he's developing into the person that's going to be able to lead uh, uh, this nation into the promised land and to do so maintaining a, maintaining a focus on God. It was kind of what, what was said earlier, you know, that not a man was lost yeah. in the battle. How much do you think that that strengthened Joshua's faith? Mm. To be like, be strong and courageous. God yes, God. yes. Right. The story of the Levites is really interesting, going back to uh, um, Jacob's prophecy about uh-huh. uh, Levi and Reuben. And they stand up to the Lord at Sinai. And we see them come into the special relationship, fulfill the prophecy, come into the special relationship with God. And Reuben fulfills the prophecy also and goes into obscurity. And we just see how God can take the, uh, like, what a what a turnaround, right? Yeah. Just, uh, people who just puts faith in God, and he still fulfills it, but he works it out to his own purposes. And they are a, a special people to God. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, Josh mentioned the uncleanness of death, and one thing I remember Tommy saying that hadn't really hit me, but you do the math, the average number of deaths a day was like 41 <laughs> every day. Yeah. That's, I mean, that struck me as an incredibly high number, right. but yet that is actually accurate. Uh-huh. And so... There was the death that they were dealing with all the time, and and all the sacrifices, and the sacrifices was another thing that that stood out to me. 
you know, in number seven, the when the tabernacle was dedicated, all those sacrifices, and then late in the yeah. uh, you know, 28, 29, all the sacrifices that were made. And it's easy for us to sit back and, well, you know, they gave 10%. They gave the tithe. But when you add in all of these sacrifices, it was something well beyond yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And to go along with that, those, um, and I think it was pointed out, there were annually, there were over 1,200 animals offered annually. And something, again, I hadn't considered. It shows God's provision to Israel, how God was providing for them to enable them to do that, uh, which then should have prompted their thanks to God uh, alike. What else you got? In uh, Numbers 3, verses 7 and 8, it was pointed out that, uh, of course, the Levites um, are going to serve. And in verse 7 of Numbers 3, they shall perform the duties for him, the high priest, and for the whole congregation before the tent of meeting. To do the service of the tabernacle, they shall also keep all the furnishings of the tent of meeting along with the duties of the sons of Israel to do the service of the tabernacle. That to do and to keep uh, mirrored the instructions that God had given to Adam regarding the Garden of Eden. That he was to keep and to cultivate which were the same two Hebrew words used here in instructing the Levites to serve and the keeping of the of of that holy place, that dwelling of God, just as uh, Adam was to keep and cultivate the Garden of Eden. That's that's too cool to me. Well, something we talked about Sunday, everyone, I guess, talking about this. The you know, the person who had you know, unintentionally killed someone yeah. had to stay in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. And that had always struck us, struck us as being a little strange. Oh, I totally thought why that when that? I read it. Well, why that? But when you think about God's law that the shedding of blood demands the shedding of blood. Yeah, life for life. Yeah. Then... It's like, yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, we made the point the high priest was the one person that got the closest to the presence of God yeah. once a year. Yeah. Uh, and so that was kind of an aha moment. Oh, man. for I think a number of us have talked about that since then. That was a huge aha moment for me. Uh, another thing that would preach, too. Yeah. <laughs> and and the, whole, the whole concept of the avenger and the redeemer and how that's played out in Christ and the all how all of that just sort of overlaps and weaves back and forth and makes it more complex and rich and Yeah, and, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I didn't notice that as much as I should have. So. 
and and Ryan made the connection there in Hebrews uh, six and verse eighteen that in order that in order that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement. We who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Yeah. I tell you, the part about Zelophehad uh, earlier in the book, uh, chapter 20, uh, seven, and how that was followed by the instruction for Moses to die, to climb the mountain and die, and then they kind of you, know, you kind of a segue away from that, and then you have Zelophehad's daughters brought back up again, and a reminder perhaps that it's time to move on, and it's time for Moses to die, and. Israel to enter the promised land. I've never considered that repeat segment as a possible literary uh, uh, movement to uh, make you interested in what's coming next after this book. Numbers 4, verse 2 and 3, you could serve in the army at age 20 but you had to be age 30 to carry the tabernacle. You, know, you always hear people saying, well, if you're, uh, if you're old enough to fight in the army, you ought to be old enough to, what do they say? To drink, to drink alcohol. Well, you, got, you can fight in the army at 18, but you can't drink alcohol legally until you're 21. Well, you could fight in the army at 20, but you couldn't carry the, uh, the ark of the, the, the things holy to God until you were age 30. That was the argument to get, you know, age 18 to vote, too. Ah, ah. Okay. In chapter 6 of Numbers, we have the section on the Nazarite vows. And again, I had not... First of all, the word the word Nazar in, in, in the word Nazarite means separated, consecrated, or to abstain. And now you count those words in that chapter and how many times those words along with Nazarite show up. And it is, it is phenomenal. Some 22 times in total. Uh, that's impressive. And I had not seen that before. Again, it can be kind of monotonous. It's like, haven't I read this word 15 times already? Why are we saying it again? Well, there's a point there. Oh, look at number sixteen. I really, I really, again, you, the the mentality, the mentality that uh, existed toward the the land of bondage where they had come out of. Numbers sixteen and verse thirteen. Dathan and Abiram say, "Is it not enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness?" <laughs> No, no, no. You're going to the land flowing with milk and honey. But no, Egypt was not just this great place, but it too was a land flowing with milk and honey. 
we we talked about geography. We talked a little bit about timing, but um, in Numbers ten and in verse eleven, we can, we kind of have. I, I, I saw somebody do this one time, and so I started I started doing it. When, when there are places in the Bible that kind of are a time marker, uh, I just draw that in my margin. And it's, it's quick, it's quick memory that oh look, there's some time marker here in the Bible. Well, I did that next to Numbers ten and verse eleven. It came about in the second year, in the second month, on the twentieth day of the month, that the cloud was lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the sons of Israel set out on their journeys from the wilderness of Sinai. So. Um, here, the journey from Mount Sinai begins. This is about a month and a half after they erected the tabernacle in Exodus 40 and uh, verse 17. And it's been about 14 months since the Exodus 12 Passover. And so, again, for me, just as geography is sometimes hard to connect with, it's hard for me to keep remembering the time frames. And sometimes you just think, well, it must have been decades past. No, it was just a matter of, of weeks or even months at most that uh, have transpired. Well, I didn't get through all my list, but that was a good overview and recap. Thank you for your work on that. And uh, I regret I cannot be a part of the Deuteronomy class, but for those of you who do get to, I'm sure that's going to be... Uh, a treat as well. So, thank you.